Are we all hoping the next COD is MW4? You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. And today's show is also brought to you in part by Hotels.com. Don't hate like your friend's trip. Book your own with Hotels.com and get rewarded basically everywhere. Hotels.com, be there, do that, get rewarded. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at BasketballMonster.com. And you can find me on Twitter as always at RedRock underscore B-Ball. We're going to be doing a season in review show today, not today, today, covering the Sacramento Kings, Michael Bolton. Let's get to it. it. Let's get to it indeed. Let's look at the Sacramento Kings, the last of these teams we're going to be looking at that didn't make the playoffs, finished 39 and 43, significantly better than I thought that would be this season. A big jump up wasn't enough to get them into the playoffs, but still a big leap forward. They had the fifth highest pace in the NBA, a real change in terms of um, Dave Yeager's coaching. He'd been going really, really slow before, amped up the pace this season. Great results, 16th in offense, 20th in defense, and nothing there really stands out as being fantastic. But of course, none of this was enough to save Dave Yeager's job. Uh, His coaching job was really good this season, but it's not all just about what happens on the court. It's the bristling with the front office. It's the ignoring what they say, decisions made there, Um, relationships with players, had issues with Buddy Heald throughout the season as well. Uh, the issues with Marvin Bagley and, and playing him, um, the seeming campaigning for Luka Doncic during the season after they'd already drafted Bagley, all that sort of stuff. And this is just the case with uh, with Jaeger. He had issues in the front office with the front office in Memphis, with him trying to you know, campaign for other jobs while he was still a coach there. And now the same thing has happened. He has gone from Sacramento. Luke Walton comes in. I imagine they will keep up that high uh, high octane up-tempo offense. They'd be looking for an improvement in, in defense as well. Walton's always had some pretty strong defenses with Golden State. And of course, with the Lakers, they've been pretty solid there. So improving that, is that enough for them to take a step forward and jump into the NBA playoffs next season? It's going to be hard to 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 do, no doubt. I'm not saying they can't do it. They don't have an upcoming draft pick in the first round, so getting better is going to be a little bit more of a challenge. So let's talk about what they do have coming up. In terms of draft picks, that number 14 overall pick is the last part of the let's clear cap space for Rajon Rondo trade with the Philadelphia 76ers. It ended up being almost almost as uh, unpainful as possible in terms of this one here going to the Boston Celtics, which the Sixers traded on to Boston as part of the Markel Fultz and Jason Tatum trade. This uh, pick would have been number one. If it had been number one, it would have gone to the Sixers, but it ended up not moving up at all. So Boston gets this selection, and now the Sacramento Kings have no more future obligations in terms of giving off their first-round picks at this point. They do have three second-round draft picks in this draft, pick number 40 and pick number 47 as well. And then they've got the last pick in the draft, pick number 60 from the Milwaukee Bucks. So you're not going to get much with pick 60, 40 and 47, unlikely to have too much in terms of contributors there. But they do have some cap space. They can get to $20 million in cap space by renouncing free agent uh, cap holds and restricted free agent rights. That can also really skyrocket if uh, the pencil Harrison Barnes, Barnesy, 
If he declines his $25 million player option, I don't imagine that he will. Nobody in their right mind is going to be paying Harrison Barnes $25 million a season. But I guess there's an option he could opt out of that and sign a longer-term deal, another three- or four-year deal with the Sacramento Kings. I worry that he's still going to get overpaid, not to this level, with his next deal. But they could get that cap space really up. So they've got a little bit of space to play around within this offseason to try and get some other players in. The unrestricted free agents on this team... Alec Burks, who came across in that Iman Shumpert trade uh, at the trade deadline, he's got a $17 million unrestricted uh, free agency cap hold. He, there is no way he's going to be kept around to maintain that cap hold. Costa Kufos, also an unrestricted free agent. Yeah, obviously, the Kings liked him. Dave Yeager really liked him. I'm not sure they're going to be in a rush to bring him back. Corey Brewer, an unrestricted free agent who came across in the middle of the season, had some moments, but in the end, wasn't really a part of the rotation. And then they got the big decision to make is Willie Cauley-Stein's restricted free agency. He's got a four $14 million cap hold. I don't, he is not worth $14 million to me. They are much better trying to run either Marvin Bagley at uh, at center or putting Harry Giles in that position. I don't think the Kings should be looking to bring Cauley Stein back. He's been pretty underwhelming, in, in my opinion, during his time. Uh, has never been able to really maintain a, a solid grasp on that starting center role. Maybe a new coach in Luke Walton can do some wonders there. But I reckon there's probably even money odds that he isn't back in Sacramento. You've got a couple of non-guaranteed guys uh, with Yogi Ferrell, uh, $3.1 million non-guaranteed deal. Frank Mason, $1.6 million non-guaranteed deal. Then there's BJ Johnson, who they were signed at the end of the season. He's a non-guaranteed slash restricted free agency sort of a guy. So there is some uh, decisions there. The main one, the Willie Cauley-Stein one, what they do with Costa Kufos. I don't think there's much decision with, with really anything else. And then, of course, deciding what Harrison Barnes, the pencil, is going to end up doing with his future is going to be very interesting to see how that all plays out with this um, with this squad. Today's show is also brought to you by Untuck It. Dads come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, and so should their shirts. Tall, short, slim, and relaxed. You ever wonder why your father's button-ups look so long and baggy at the end of the day? It can be hard for guys to pull off a casual, untucked look that isn't sloppy, and that's where Untuck It comes in. Untuck It is the solution that, ju- that fits just right. Their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com. That's U-N-T-U-C-K-I-T.com and use the promo code NBA to get 20% off. All right, let's now look at these players on the Kings team. They surprisingly had two top 50 players this year. De'Aaron Fox taking the biggest leap forward, the 48th overall ranked player this season. Really huge step forward for Fox in his second NBA season. He was a guy that I was targeting pretty heavily at the... um, at the back end of drafts, but I didn't see this level of production coming from uh, from Fox. It was a really, really big step up for him. Uh, he was uh, second on the team in PIPM. Weirdly enough, Willie Cauley-Stein was the, the, uh, the, the number one guy there. So I guess some of the advanced numbers like him a little bit more than what I did. Fox's defense was strong. He still has some struggles offensively with some of his shooting, but his ability to play with pace and to be a strong option, uh, plus 3.3 on-off this season. It was, it was really, really good from Fox to see that big leap forward. He, uh, as I said, was 48th-ranked player, averaged 17 points in 31 minutes, almost four boards, over seven assists, and 1.6 steals, shooting 46 and 73, and 37% from three. There were some you know, drop-offs after he started the season really well. 
with his shooting, which was a little bit concerning to me that it did start to drop off. But he picked it up at the end of the year. And again, something I like to look at when players have big increases in their shooting is it on the back of unsustainable, say, long two shooting. And it wasn't the case for Fox, who hit just 36% of his long twos, which had him 34th percentile for point guard. So still some room to improve there. His three-point shooting was an improvement as well. And he could improve there as well, 31% on his corner threes. Another number that could really stand to improve. He took his true shooting from 40 8% to 54%. 54 still not great. You're looking to push to 56, 57 to get to NBA average. That's dragged down a fair bit by his poor free throw shooting at 73%. He was at 72 last year. So maybe that's just the sort of guy he is. But upping that assist rate as much as he did was fantastic. Improving the steal rate was absolutely huge as well. And you pair that with the shooting numbers. And we saw that big improvement from Fox. But where does he go from here? A usage rate of 24% this season. The shooting had an improvement. Where does he get better? Can he take that 24 usage to 27 usage? Is he ever going to be that guy? The 7.3 assists, you know, maybe he can get to 8 assists, 1.6 steals. Maybe he gets to 2 steals. But those numbers feel not necessarily locked in, but at a level where you could expect them to, to remain similarly throughout his career. The other thing he could look to do is only one three a game on 37%. So 37% is really good three-point shooting, but he just doesn't take enough attempts. So the worry you have there is if he scales that up and takes seven threes a game, does he become a 33% three-point shooter? Improving his three-pointers made category, but overall negatively impacting his field goal percentage. So that's the next step for Fox, being able to take that 37% three-point shooting and extrapolating it out to volume instead of the low, low volume that he was taking his shots at this season. He's got to be able to improve that. So I think there is a legitimate risk that maybe Fox is a bit overdrafted. Yeah, I think 45 is about the right spot for him. And maybe maybe he hits, heads to top 40 next season. But I think if people are starting to go, well, in his second season, look how much better he got. In his third season, will he push and become a 22-9 and nine sort of a guy? I think if you're having those level of expectations, it might be a bit too much. Especially if you know the the increase in points comes with an increase in threes, meaning the field goal percentage might drop off. That's the only concern I have. But it was a huge, huge step forward, and there are still big areas of improvement that can come from De'Aaron Fox. So a really positive, positive thing for him and for the Sacramento Kings for this season. The other guy who was massive this year was Buddy Heald, the 49th ranked player overall. I was big on Heald in those mid-rounds. I was looking at him as a guy that I'd take in that similar zone to, say, a CJ McCollum. And surprisingly, he actually came out as a better option there. 101st overall last year. But what we saw this season, and credit to Jaeger, because I criticized what Jaeger did last season, he bumped his minutes up from 25 up to 37 a game. He became a 20-point-per-game scorer, healed 20.7 points in 32 minutes, over three threes, almost three and a half, five boards, two and a half assists, 0.7 steals, and of course, shot brilliantly, 46 from the field, 89 from the line, 43 from three for a true shooting of 59%. Now, one of the reasons I thought Heald could push into that mid-round player is we saw him put up a really elevated steal rate last season. Well, that completely disappeared. In his rookie season, 0.7 steals per 36. Last year, 1.5. This season, 0.8. So it's a real you know, up and down sort of situation there. And if those steals go back to that 1.1, 1.3 steals per game, which he could have got to in those 32 minutes, maybe even 1.5 steals per game, then he's a top 30 player um, with all those other numbers. So 
I think at this point we have to just look at Heald as maybe a lower steals guy, and that weird second season was a bit of an outlier. But with his shooting, we know he's going to be an excellent shooter. There's no concern there. Can he start to improve those other areas? What he did this season, the assists, and while the assists and his rebounds all all went up from a bulk perspective, they're basically exactly in line with his per 36 numbers from both his rookie season and his uh, second season. Even his three-pointers made, uh, they're a little bit more. We saw an increase in attempts from three, um, and that overall increase in usage this season or increase in scoring this season, to be more accurate, was uh, was impressive from Heald. He was uh, he was really strong again, plus two point seven in his uh, in his on off stuff. Uh, I worry a little bit more with you know, PIPM plus 0.64, so which is not great. Actually, fourth on this team behind Corley Stein, Fox, and Bielitsa. So not a great, not a great part there. He is older, of course, than we are than we know. 27 years of age. Um, defensively, he struggles, and I worry when I look at what he does versus what Fox does. Where does he ramp it up? Will he ever? Now, I guess the steals could come back, and he could be that 1.5 steals game, and then he's you know, right up in that top 25. But 21 points a game, can he get better than that? Two and a half assists, can he get better there? Five rebounds, can he get better? Yeah, free throws, he almost doubled his free throw rate this season or over doubled his free throw rate. That's fantastic, but can he take another step forward there? I'm not so sure he can. So I think we look at Heald as a solid fourth to fifth round guy. Third round, I think he can get to be a third round player next season, but I wouldn't be drafting him there. But huge steps forward from Bud Heald, obviously, this season. And uh, surprised even me, as this whole team did uh, throughout, uh, not throughout, throughout the season. That's the word I am looking for. Today's show is also brought to you by Grip Six Belts. They, their goal is literally to make the best belt that's ever been made. They, uh, I've got some Grip Six Belts, absolutely fantastic. Love them. Interchangeable buckles. Uh, they are a belt with no holes, no flap, no bulk. They sit really flat against your waist. They're a thoughtful gift for dads, brothers, husbands, uncles, grandpas, even mums and wives, and they have a kids collection as well. I'm going to be looking to get my son some of those belts. Ultra lightweight with no holes, no flap. Carries a low profile with a buckle laying flat against the waist. It is super comfortable and grip six has a special offer for you at grip six.com slash lock that's l-o-c-k-e grip six grip with the number six.com slash lock l-o-c-k-e let's get on to willie Corley stein now um 81 games 27 minutes a game 12 and eight and a half he was the 117th ranked player but as a center, 0.6 blocks is really disappointing. The 1.2 steals is really nice. 56 from the field, unfortunately, just 55 from the line. So there are some positives. The field goal percentage is a positive. The steal rate is a positive. He rebounds well, but poor blocks, poor free throws, never going to be a high scorer or anything like that. And he just seems to be stagnating as a player. Fewer minutes this season than last season. The block rate actually went down this year. Increase in efficiency, but free throws dropped as well. So four years in with Corley Stein, and I don't really know what to make of him. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Earlier. The advanced dump number is really good. A defensive PIPM of 2.22 is fantastic. Yeah, PIPM overall 1.91, really strong. An on-off of plus 3.1, really good. But I just don't know where he. I don't know where he goes from here. I don't know how he gets better from uh, from, from what what he does now. Will the block rate ever improve for for Corley Stein? I'm not. I'm not so sure that it does. Yeah, will we ever see him becoming this guy who you know, can? deal with a larger usage, can start shooting shots, can can he actually hit anything outside of the paint? I'm not sure. He doesn't finish around the rim all that well, just 66%, which for a big man is not a great number. Doesn't take threes. Yeah, uh, 33% on mid-range twos. Like They're just not good numbers for Corley Stein. 36% all in block percentage for a big man. 
I don't see him as a starting caliber center in the NBA. Now, defensively, he's really good. Switches out to the perimeter fantastically. But again, only 27 minutes a night with guys like Bagley and Giles ascending on this team. I don't think that they should be looking to bring him back for starters, starting center money. And I think that we should be yeah, really considering the fact that Cauley Stein is not going to be ever a top 100 fantasy player. And I wouldn't be stunned if next year he is outside the top 150. That's how I'm viewing Willie Cauley Stein as we move forward for this Sacramento Kings team. And whether he's back on this team, I wouldn't be making him all that much of a priority personally. Bogdan Bogdanovich entered the season with a knee injury. A little bit disappointing this year. Only 28 minutes a game. Now, he is 26 and a half years of age. Uh, one year older than Corley Stein. Averaged 14, 3 and a half and 4 with a steal. Two threes. 42, 83 and 36 as his percentages. It was a little bit of a disappointment this year. He played the same minutes as last year, but did improve his scoring, improved his usage, but that all came with a drop in efficiency, which is a little bit disappointing. The three-point percentage fell. The two-point percentage also dropped off. He got to the line more. We saw a little bit more in terms of playmaking for him. So some strides forward in areas and some disappointments in other areas. I thought his defense took a step back. His PIPM was a negative 1.14. His uh, spot, which I thought he could have been holding, was taken by uh, Buddy Heald. And then it was taken by Iman Shumpert. And Harrison Barnes were getting minutes there. So a little bit disappointing now. With with Shumpert gone, with Barnes maybe not back. Barnes exclusively playing the four, which is what he should be doing. There is that small forward position that's still open for somebody to take. And Bogdanovich, I think, can have a better season. And if I had to put, say, between him and Corley Stein, who finished two ranking spots apart this season, which guy will be top 100 next season? It would be Bogdan Bogdanovich. He can handle the ball. No reason he can't be a 16-4 and 4.5 sort of a player with 1.2 steals, but that efficiency needs to come back. So I'm giving him a little bit of a pass for the way this season was because of those injuries that really wiped out his preseason in the beginning of the year. He had stretches. He was up and down. No one's denying that. I thought he was dicked around a little bit by Jaeger in terms of playing time and role, and he should be a guy that's getting 31, 32 minutes a night. So I think this might be a little bit of a buy low for Bogdanovich, but he's going to be 27 by or at the start of next season or around the start of next season. So his long-term dynasty value for a guy that's only played two years is a little bit limited because of the age at which he came over into the NBA. We have to be a little bit concerned about that. Nemanja Bialica, another guy whose season was all over the place. He's he's just turned 31. He was 136th ranked player in 23 minutes, under 10 points, 9.6, almost six boards, two assists, 1.3 threes, 0.7 steals and blocks, 48, 76, and 40% from three. Um, he was really, really strong as an on-off guy, plus 6.4. He was part of their best lineups consistently. PIPM 1.58, really big contributor offensively and defensively. But we don't know how Luke Walton's going to use him. Ideally, I'd just love to see him at the four, Bagley at the five, Barnes at the four. You know, use those guys at that power forward position rather than some of the lineups that Jaeger was running. And we don't know exactly how Walton's going to do that. He hasn't necessarily always put out the best lineups possible uh, as a member of or as a coach of the LA Lakers. But I worry about Bielitsa, who is really up and down. He's inconsistent. We've seen that all through his career in Sacramento, in Minnesota. And he just doesn't have... Look, he had a he was a top 50 guy for the start of the season and then ended up outside the top 130. That just goes to show you just how much his value changed. Yes, his minutes dropped off completely, but it wasn't just his minutes. It was his level of play as well, his shooting, all that sort of stuff. It does wax and wane. He's never going to be a big volume defensive stack guy. He will get no assists. He's an average rebounder. I think at the age of 31, 
one we should be expecting. Maybe this you can get one more year of Bielita at this sort of value. And then after that, I don't really see much moving forward. But it was, as always is the case for Bielita, we all get we all get rock hard thinking about, oh, look at this, great, 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 great. And then it disappears. It happened in Minnesota multiple times as well. And it happened again here. Let's talk Marvin Bagley, 20 years of age, 62 games, 25 minutes, 15 and seven and a half with half a three, one assist, half a steal, one block, 50 and 69. Giggity! As his percentages and shot 31% from three. Uh, 23% usage, true shooting of 56. They're all pretty positive for a rookie. No doubt about any of that. Bagley, though, defensively was a disaster by metrics. A negative 1.72 defensive PIPM, negative 2.15 def- uh, overall PIPM is a really, really bad number. Uh, Bagley was a negative 4.5 on-off as well, so significantly made the team worse when he was on the court. Of course, he is a rookie. He dealt with multiple knee injuries during the season as well, and we expect some improvement. But a lot of what the problem is with Bagley is the problems that I thought he had coming into the season. The real defensive issues, the lack of vision, the turnovers, the inability to shoot on his right hand or go right at all. Now, offensively, he he scored pretty well. He had some big stretches of games, no doubt where he was putting up some some strong enough numbers. He only ended up starting four games for the season, but played well in those games, averaged 20 and 11 during that time. But we look at guys, and 2011 is good because they're big numbers, but when you're not providing much in those other categories, you're not hitting threes, you get no assists, you don't get steals. And yes, he did block shots at, at a higher than expected rate, but then when your overall efficiency numbers are, are pretty low, yeah, that, that's, that's a concern, especially with your free throw shooting, and he gets the line quite a bit. So... I don't have as high a hope for Bagley as what other people do. People seem to think he's a guaranteed all-star and he's a future star and he's this top 20 guy. I think he can be a top 40 player, a top 30 player at some point. I think we're a little bit away from that. And there are some concerns. Obviously, I have him behind guys like Aiton and Jackson and Young and Doncic and all those sort of guys in terms of their dynasty value. He's ahead of uh, someone like Mo Bamba, and he showed enough offensively, but there is still enough question marks that I have to really have concerns. The lack of assists, steals, blocks, the poor three-point shooting, which did improve as the season went on, to be fair to him. He did start to shoot the ball uh, better over the end of the season, 39% over his last 19 games. So that's a massive, massive positive. It is only a small sample, but it is a huge positive there as he upped his usage as well. So I think we look at Bagley as a guaranteed draftable guy, probably a top 80 guy next season, and it's not out of the realms of possibility that he becomes a top 50 player as early as next season. But the concerns there, and I say this, and I said this with Aiton as well, is when the team starts to become good, his defensive problems, how much is that going to impact his overall upside? I think there's a real worry with that. With him, he's got to take those steps forward. He didn't really show that much defensively. Uh, his ability to position himself was way off all year. Uh, yeah, but he did he did block shots, which is okay for fantasy. But again, it does come down to that. If you can't actually defend on the court, will you get enough minutes to put up those ball counting stats? And that's somewhat of a concern that I have for Bagley. The next guy we look at, the pencil Harrison Barnes, 33 minutes a game. Just barely cracked the top 150, 148th all season. 15, sorry, 16 and a half points with over two threes. But he just does nothing in those other areas. 4.7 rebounds, 1.5 assists, 0.6 steals, 0.2 blocks, and a horrible 42 and 82. The 82 is good. The 42 from the field is terrible. And that includes shooting 40% from three. He just could not hit his, uh, his two-pointers. A negative uh, PIPM during his time in Sacramento in 28 games, negative 0.46. Uh, he was a plus 2.8 on off. I think that 
I think he will take that player option and be back in Sacramento and playing 30 minutes a night, but he's absolutely not someone that should be considered a standard league guy. He's consistently overdrafted in leagues. He had an ADP of 79 this season, which was always laughable at that time. He, of course, got nowhere near that. He just doesn't do anything outside of score. And when the uh, the usage and the, the shot attempts and all that, and the efficiency drops off, then he's a, he's a nothing fantasy player. And I don't really see too much changing for the pencil, unfortunately. He did just turn 27. So he's still, you know, not looking at, at a massive drop off in athleticism. It's just, this is who he is as a player. This is the sort of a guy that had some value when he was the only guy in Dallas where you're scoring 21, 22 a night. That's not the case in Sacramento with guys like Heald and Fox and Bogdanovich and Bagley and all these other guys taking shots. Barnes is going to be absolutely a 12-team afterthought on this this squad. And I can't really see what other team is going to be paying him to come in and make him the number one option. So I think that his run of being anywhere close to a 12-team league valuable player is pretty much cooked. Alec Burks is the next highest ranked player, 231st in 21 minutes a game. He was getting some playing time in Cleveland. He just isn't someone I think we should be caring about as we move forward too much. Um, didn't do anything in Sacramento to get us excited at all. Not a long-term player. Same with Corey Brewer at the age of 33. Always good to come in and has these moments where shit, he gets in four steals and has a 20-point game and does that once and then doesn't do too much else from that. He will catch on somewhere. He'll sign some rest-of-season deals, some 10-day deals to help playoff co- competing teams, but that's really about it. Harry Giles, in his rookie season, missed his whole first year due to that, uh, due to those uh, knee injuries. Had some uh, issues in this one as well. 58 games, but still I- impressive to get those 58 games. Had a thigh injury that ended his uh, season. Uh, not a serious injury, but they just uh, took some precautions with that uh, with that injury. He was uh, offensively struggled. Negative 1.99 offensive PIPM. Overall negative two on that stat. Not a great number. Negative 2.9 with his on-off as well. But he's gonna if Corley Stein goes, it's gonna be him and Bagley that really have to step into that role. And I can see a big step forward coming for Giles in his second season. He was 297th this season. I think that's right. So uh, 302nd ranked player this season. Seven points, four rebounds, one and a half assists, half a steal, half a block. And if you look at per 36, that's 18 and 10 with four assists, 1.4 steals and a block. Shot 50 from the field. Uh, didn't really, didn't hit any threes at all. 64% from the line. That's a little bit of a concern. Yeah, those free throws, can he start to hit those? But his ability to at least get some steals and some assists, the block, the shot blocks need to improve quite a bit for him to be an impactful guy. But I think there is a potential for him to be a top 150 player this season. I'm not as giddily excited about him as what others are. I think that he showed, yeah, he really, really struggled to begin the season, but looked much better at the end of the year. I think that he's, it can, comparing him to say like a Bam at a bio type of a player, I have Bam significantly higher in terms of my rankings, but Giles can be maybe a Bam light, a guy who can pass a little bit and provide some defensive numbers. The, can, yeah, the, the free throw percentage is a real concern, but he, he did get to the line a bit, which you know, could turn into a positive, but at this point it's a negative because he's not shooting well from that area, but I thought that at least we saw something from him that he can be on an NBA court, that he can compete at that level, even though he's not the same level of a player that he was when he was a prospect. Yogi Ferrell, I thought, was uh, serviceable 
this season. Obviously, nothing spectacular. Defensively, he's always going to struggle with his size. He uh, was the 325th ranked player, uh, six points a game, shot 36% from three, assist rate only two a game. But you'd imagine that they would consider bringing him back as the backup point guard behind Darren Fox again. And the rest of this team is really not a lot to like there. Caleb Swanigan, BJ Johnson, Costa Kufos, Frank Mason, the guy I think we talk about here, 25 years of age, really strong rookie season, terrible second year, overtaken by Ferrell, uh, only played 38 games, 12 minutes, shot 22% from three, which is obviously a horrible, horrible number. His advanced metrics were really bad, negative 2.7 PIPM as well. The team was 8.7 points better off with him sitting on the bench. I don't know at the age of 25 whether Mason can ever push himself back to become a backup caliber point guard. It was a significant step backwards this season for Frank uh, as opposed to his rookie season. And uh, again, I like to give guys three years, but at the age of 25, it was definitely a, a poor, poor showing from Mason who fell well behind the eight ball. But of course, if Ferrell goes, maybe they do look to reinstate him as the backup point guard. But I don't have any faith in him ever becoming a starting caliber player in the NBA. Caleb Swanigan, he's not an NBA player, and they should be looking to decline his fourth-year rookie option, in my opinion. Just cannot get it going, and I have zero faith in him for long-term dynasty potential. That'll do it for today's show, guys. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter at RedRock underscore Beeble and subscribe to the show. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and on Spotify. And a big thanks to our sponsors, Hotels.com, Untuck It, and Grip Six Belts. Go and check out those guys who support this show and help you know, to bring this show to you for free every day. Guys, we are done here. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. See ya. Darren Fox.